Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International. Hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert Dr. Joe Beam and CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Beam Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Think about the number of people that you know, the people that you have gone to church with, the people that you have worked with, the people that you know socially, even your own relatives. And think about the number of them, the number of the marriages at least, that have been affected by infidelity, where either the husband or the wife, sometimes both, have been involved with another person, at least emotionally, to the point where they're actually violating their marriage. Or if not that, then beyond that, I should say, would be sexually. It's rampant. You can name people right now. If you had a piece of paper in front of you and started writing, you can write down the names of people you know who have done this or who have been affected by this. As a matter of fact, as you're listening, it may be that you have been affected by the infidelity of your spouse. Or it may be that you're the spouse who's watching, who's listening, and you're the one who has uh, been unfaithful to your spouse. If you are, please stay with us. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to address a particular problem that we're facing in America. As a matter of fact, I'm sure it's worldwide, but I'm speaking primarily about America right now. A problem that we're facing that's causing all kinds of difficulty. Now, if you say, well, why does it happen? Part of why it's happening is because of the change in our culture, the change in our society that's occurred over the last maybe 50 years, if you look back, beginning about the 1960s. And uh, many people listening have no idea what the 60s were like because you weren't there. But beginning then, when they begin to change from this is what's right and this is what's wrong, you do what's right, you avoid what's wrong. And over time, it evolved to no, no, no. What you really should do is whatever makes you feel good at the moment. Or they may even phrase it this way, you need to be happy. Do what makes you happy. Not thinking about the fact that happiness is typically based on what's happening. And that if what's happening changes, then your happiness tends to change as well. And instead of a moral code, that this is right, this is wrong, it evolved into each person becoming his or her own moral code. And when you live in a society where it's acceptable to be unfaithful to your spouse, the temptation to do so becomes much, much stronger. Not only that, but the people willing to participate in that with you, the numbers of those people continue to grow. And so that there are more men and more women who are willing to participate in that because of the fact that it's like, well, that this makes you happy and this makes me happy. And even though I know that you're married to someone else and you should be faithful to him or her, this was meant to be because it makes us happy at the moment. So part of it is the culture. 
the culture in which we live, the society which we have become, it makes it so much more, well, it's more attainable. It's easier to do. And then consider the fact that about half, about half of the adult population of America is single. And there are people out there who are desperate for a companion. Now, not every single person is like that. Don't don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying that. But there are people out there that are single that do feel so very lonely and so very abandoned that if someone comes along that appears to fulfill his or her needs, to meet his or her desires, even if that person is married, it's like, but but I'm so alone. And this person is just right for me. At least that's what they believe at the moment. This person is just right for me. And so it really is irrelevant that he is married to someone else or that she's married to someone else. Oh, and by the way, if the spouse who is being involved in this really wants to be involved in something they shouldn't be involved in, then they're liable to lie. What I mean by that is to say, oh, I am married, but, you know, we're in the process of divorcing. I am married, but we're separated already. I am married, but. And so we live in a culture that makes it so much easier. And then we have different kinds of affairs that people have. You know, there's the kind of affair that I call the short-lived affair. Now, there are a bunch of subheadings to this, but basically what it means is that they're not particularly emotionally connected to the other person. It's primarily about the situation. It could be about the sexual fervor that's being involved in it. It could be ego that's being stroked. It can even go to things like flirting that got out of hand. It can even be vengeance. Like I've been hurt by my spouse. I'm going to hurt him or her back by what I do. But the key to the short-lived affair is basically that it does not last that long. Now, it can last several months and in rare, rare occasion can last past a year. And sometimes it's the proverbial one night stand. It happens and it's over with. And there's those kinds of infidelities, those kind of affairs. It, those of the three I'm about to describe, well, that's one of the three I'm describing, are the ones that, while none of them is easy to help a couple get past, of the three, that would be the easiest if indeed the person hasn't gotten into a habit of being involved with other people sexually, what the, some counselors and therapists call sex addicts. Now, in the sexological world, we call it obsessive sexual behavior, but we won't argue over semantics right now. What I'm saying is that there are some kinds like that. It's not an emotional connection to the other person. It's about the situation itself. And then there are those affairs that occur because people in a marriage that they refer to as an open marriage. Sometimes they call it the lifestyle. Back in the day, they used to call it swinging. And that's kind of coming back now as into vogue, calling it swinging again. In other words, you can be involved sexually with whomever you wish, as long as you love me and are married to me. We get couples like that in our workshop. And the reason we do it's because of the fact that inevitably one of them winds up being emotionally connected to somebody else and then they want out of the marriage because I want to be with him or I want to be with her. If you're thinking about the fact that they're being sexually involved with different people in different situations with the consent of the spouse, doesn't it just make sense at some point they're going to find some person with whom they connect emotionally when they do that? And so we do get those couples that come to a workshop saying, save our marriage. And we do the best we can to help them save the marriage, but telling them, if you go right back to that lifestyle, whatever we do for you here is probably not going to have a great long-term effect because you see what you're doing. Well, I'll come back to that some other time. And then the third kind of affair is what we refer to as the relationship affair or emotional affair. Now, that actually has a word. There's a, a name that goes with it. Oh, I know in the public out there, people call it romantic love, true love. I have finally found my true, finally found my true love. I have found my Prince Charming. I have found my Cinderella. And they actually believe that. It's not that at all. 
There's a word for it. The word was coined back in the 1970s by Dorothy Tenov, a Ph.D., who studied it extensively and wrote a book about it. And she named it limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. Now, there's a lot of research that's been done on limerence. I'm not going to explain everything I can to you about it right now. But quite often, limerence happens to a person that's not necessarily looking to cheat on his or her spouse. They're not looking to be unfaithful. But they have some kind of need that's being unfulfilled. It could be a problem existing in the marriage itself, for example, and they're frustrated with that problem. Whatever it is, some kind of vulnerability exists, whether it's because the marriage has its own problems or whether that person has vulnerabilities in and of himself or herself. Vulnerabilities that may have started all the way back in childhood, whether they need to feel some kind of intense emotion. And when they married, they probably felt that intense emotion for the person they married to. But all of us, all of us know that the intense emotion of the early relationship tends to modify over time. It tends to come down so that it can still be a very deep, deep abiding emotion, but it doesn't have the ecstasy. It doesn't have that same sense of thrill and excitement over time because, well, we just get used to each other. And actually, that excitement, that thrill kind of thing, Dr. Helen Fisher, a Ph.D., she actually has written about that extensively. That that was designed to draw us together, but it was never designed to keep us together. As far as I know, Fisher's not a religious person, so she doesn't refer to God. She would refer to nature. And that in nature, that kind of thrills to draw us together. But it was never intended to keep us together because people who operate in that ecstatic sense can't maintain it forever. It's an impossibility. It will diminish. It will go away. Yet, <laughs> yet when, do a, when you talk to a person who is in that situation, they deny that. No, no, no. I, this is something that I feel that nobody else has ever felt. I can't even explain the amazing sensations that I'm feeling. And this is the way I'm going to feel about this person for the rest of my life. And quite often... They don't remember they had very similar emotions toward the person they're married to now back in the beginning. And the reason they don't remember that is because in the intensity of these emotions, they rewrite history. They tend to remember only negative or at least neutral things, but mostly negative about the spouse. They don't remember the excitement, the ecstasy at the beginning. All they can think of is, no, I've never felt this way with anyone before. And this is what I feel for this person now. And if you're trying to convince them that that's incorrect, they'll deny it. I know that for a fact, because many years ago, I left my wife. This was back in the 1980s, before some of you guys were born, <laughs> for a woman with whom I was, quote, madly in love. Back then, I didn't know what Limerick was. I'd never heard of it. Like most people, interestingly, never have heard of it. It's amazing how many counselors and therapists have never even heard of it, although the research is ample out there. And when I became so involved with that woman, I had no memory of the excitement I had when I was to begin with. It just didn't exist in my head. All I could remember was the negatives, anything negative that had happened in a relationship. And in every relationship, there are those negative things. And I was actually confronted by a counselor who had letters that I had written to Alice back when we were dating, back when we were younger. And the intensity of the emotion expressed in those letters, he said, see, you did feel these things for Alice. I didn't believe my own handwriting. I couldn't because I'd rewritten history. And sometimes they even go to the point of vilifying the spouse. 
like making him or her into some kind of evil person. Everything about him or her is bad. And it's not because you're necessarily doing this consciously. It's happening more in the back of the brain back there, if you will. And it becomes part of the justification for leaving him or leaving her and going to this new exciting lover that you feel is intense limerence for. But you're not calling limerence. You're calling it madly in love. Nobody's ever felt like this. But even though you won't believe it if you're in that situation, it has a shelf life. It will end. You see, what's making it so intense are some things that are happening inside your own brain. Oh, Fisher's research has been fascinating about this, he and her colleagues. But Dr. Fisher and her colleagues found that um, several things are happening. I'll just mention two, that when you're in that state, the serotonin levels in your brain are actually decreasing. Now, that intensifies fear. And by the way, the stronger the fear, the stronger the passion. You say, what are you afraid of? Afraid we won't end up together. Afraid that somehow I'll lose you. And at the same time that that serotonin is going down, which makes you apprehensive and afraid, your your other chemical dopamine is going sky high whenever you feel that the other person is reacting to you the way that you, that you want them to. And when they do that, when they indicate in some fashion by that whatever they do, or even if you imagine they're doing it, that there's they're connecting with you emotionally like you want to connect to them emotionally, whether it's happening or you just think it's happening, you go into these these ecstatic sensations of this is amazing. Nobody has ever felt like this. And so part of what you're fighting is your own brain chemicals. If you were to say, this is wrong, I need to stop this. I need to get out of it. Your own brain is fighting it because it's saying, no, 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 no. This is what we crave. This is what we want. We've always wanted to feel this way, but it does have a shelf life. It is going to end. Now, you can look at the stats about how long are the averages, but that's irrelevant right now. Whether it lasts a few months or a couple of years, it's going to end. And so the spouse that's standing for the marriage, the one that wants things to work, and they see their husband or their wife so involved with this other person, so overcome with these intense and deep emotions, and they're thinking, how, how could you choose him or her over me? What's wrong with me? Actually, there may not be much wrong with you at all. When I say much, I mean, nobody's perfect. You understand, I'm sure you're not, but there may not be much wrong with you at all. There may not even be much wrong with your relationship. Now, if there is, those are things that need to be fixed. There's no doubt about that. But you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that they are imprisoned in a sense by their own brain chemicals, and they crave that ecstasy, and they seek it with all their being. If that's talking to the other person, being with the other person, or just daydreaming about the other person and their future together, they crave that ecstasy and they go for it. But hear me. I've said it. I'll say it again. It has a shelf life. It will end. Now, if you want to know a lot more about this, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com slash Marriage Helper. It's all one long word there. And if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll find that we have tons of tons of hundreds, actually, of videos there about all kinds of topics concerning relationships. And some of those are about limerence and some of those are about why your spouse is in love with somebody else. Or if you're the person who feels those emotions, there are videos there about why do I feel this way and and how is it going to turn out? And there are even videos about how do you choose between a lover or a spouse? Or you can always come to our regular website, which is marriagehelper.com. And on regular website, you can find all kinds of things there, including podcasts and links to other videos. And we even have people that will be happy to talk to you. 
If you want to talk and, and get somebody who can help you, you can call our number at 866-903-0990. That's 866-903-0990. No, it's not a hotline. You will not get a counselor or therapist, okay? What's going to happen is that you'll get one of our client representatives who can guide you to, who can guide you to the right resources that we have in our nonprofit. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.